His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear, and I'm Lyle Presler. And on today's episode, we will talk about the legacy of George Michael. Mariah Carey gets sabotaged. We will discuss the greatest New Year's Eve party ever. But before all of that, yesterday, on the first workday of 2017, Coachella announced their lineup. So you guys ready? Mm. The headliners are Radiohead, Beyonce, and Kendrick Lamar. Woo! You pumped? Woo! <laughs> I liked last year. Well, last year, the big news was that Guns N' Roses was coming back. Right. So it built up all these months of speculation. Will it really happen? And it did. And then they toured throughout the year. So Beyonce was on her Formation World Tour last year. I feel like Radiohead has done Coachella a bunch, Mm -hmm. although maybe they've only done it once or twice. Mm. And I feel like Kendrick Lamar headlines every festival. Yeah, I mean, this just seems like a list of the usual suspects, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I understand there's probably, there's not that many headliners, guaranteed headliners you can find, but it's just sort of like, yay, Green Bay is in the playoffs. <laughs> hey, New, New England, New England's in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, New England won the division again. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I, uh,. I'm sure it'll be fun. I'm sure it'll be fun, yeah. Because it, it brings out all of the, the Hollywood A-listers, so mm. on the second night, everyone's going to be backstage getting pumped up for Beyonce. Definitely. And then on night one, everyone will be like, oh, Radiohead, they're amazing. They're awesome. So the only the only you know drama is what will Radiohead play? Yeah. Right? I mean, now we're back to our Radiohead thing again. <laughs> yeah, now if you want a moment... Then they should bust out some Ben's and OK Computer. Absolutely. Then we're talking, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, between now and then, I guess they can play, they can pull on those hard strings, can't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Radiohead and Beyonce have always had a, a weird relationship in my life. I've told this story before on the show, mm. where it was early 2000s, I was at the Virgin Megastore, and I was listening to Amnesiac. And I thought, man, this is terrible. And then I turned to my right, and I listened to Destiny's Child, and I thought, okay, like, I can't believe it, but I like Destiny's <laughs> Child's album better than Radiohead's album. Right. And then Beyonce turned into Radiohead, and now I have no Destiny's Child. <laughs> and Kendrick Lamar is kind of like the, the Radiohead of hip-hop, so uh, I don't think I'll be attending Coachella this year. Oh, no. Now, Governor's Ball announced their lineup, oh. and I'm kind of digging it. So they've got Tool, hmm. Chance the Rapper, Lord, Phoenix... Wu-Tang Clan will be there. Ray Shermerd, Wiz Khalifa, and KG Elephant. Just some of the names playing no, Governor's Ball this good. year. that sounds good. Like, I yeah. like that. Yeah. No, I, I, I have to say, as, as jaded as I am, I mean, that sounds like a good lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everyone's, well, everyone, I think a lot of people are wondering about the tool thing. You know, what the, what's that going to be like? So yeah. and they and the other people are absolutely solid and interesting and also Lord I mean what is Lord going to do now right the you return know? of Lord exactly and the Wu Tang Clan and the Wu Tang Clan yeah, yeah, I, I've seen the Wu Tang Clan before multiple times it's always been a mess <laughs> so. right yeah 
Um, so, Lyle, what did you do on New Year's Eve? Did I, you catch the uh, Mariah Carey performance? I certainly did. I you was, d- now, did you watch it live? Yes. Yes, I did. As did I. Wow, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, we're... we're I think I learned a long time ago uh, that basically New Year's Eve is a time to hunker down. Yes. You, know, you can have your beverages of choice. You can have your food. Normally, we do, like crazy food stuff and whatever and if people want to come over for a while that's cool too but i'm not i'm not gonna be out there i had a really bad experience one time going trying to get back to hoboken from new york city yes after new year's and it was like i'll never do this again ever Uh, and and so i hunkered down and i watched um a lot of the shows I, i flipped back and forth i have to say i think cnn is the best show to watch because it's just so completely out of control. I mean, I mean, it was just like you know, it was it it was crazy. I mean, I, it's hard to believe that CNN could be more sort of out there and risque and crazy than right than the other ones. But it was, and of course, you could have watched Pitbull's thing, which was whatever. Yeah, that's fine. But mm-hmm. I, I spent most of my time watching New Year's Rock and Eve with uh, <laughs> with with Ryan Seacrest and the robot. Um, otherwise known as what's her name? Um, Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, like, excuse me, is that a mask? Is that yeah, a mask? Yeah. Like, come on. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a tight face. It's tight, baby. It's tight. Yo, that's tight. Yo, that's tight. And I don't know about the rest <laughs> of it, but that's tight. Um, that's tight. <clears throat> but yeah, so I did. I did see the performance as it happened. So I going into New Year's because, like you. It's, it's always built up as like, it's got to be the greatest night of the year. And it never lives up to that expectation. No. So I always tried to build my expectations really low. And that usually involves me staying at home. So I, I told my wife, I said, I want to do a complete media blackout. Okay. She's like, uh, she's like, okay, but maybe for like the last half hour, like I want to count it down. And I said, all right, we'll wait till 1130. So we watched Black Mirror on Netflix a, a series okay. that I love. A lot of people talk down season three, but I, I thought season three was the most polished. Uh, anyway, so we, we turned on the TV at 11.30, and I saw J-Lo, and then I flipped back, and they said, oh, coming up, Mariah Carey. And I said, oh, okay, that sounds fun. And I flipped around, and after the commercial break, they came back, and then happened the Mariah Carey performance. <laughs> and I don't know about you, Lyle, but my wife and I were thoroughly entertained, and we said, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing we've seen ever in the history of New Year's Eve. It, it, it was a spectacle. Yes, it was a spectacle. Because for those that didn't watch, and I'm sure everyone kind of knows by now, I think she performed two songs. I, I read somewhere where she did three, but when I tuned in, she did Emotions, and then she rolled into another one, and then she walked off stage. But I guess her ears were out. Her earpieces, she couldn't hear anything, and she basically did commentary. Yeah, well, we didn't do no yeah. sound check. We, I, I can't hear anything. We didn't bring out the feathers. Bring out the feather. All right, eh, whatever. All right, you guys <laughs> sing it. You guys sing it. God. And I thought it was awesome because when do we ever talk about a performance on New Year's Eve? Never. 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 Well, the reason we don't talk about it, Jim, is because it's pretty much understood that the musicians are not playing. Yeah. They're not singing. Mm-hmm. It's just a... And, and by the way, just, just, just so people understand, I mean, the, the technical 
limitations are very clear. I mean, it would be very, very difficult to really do real, honest-to-God live music in that situation. Yes! It's just very difficult. So playing to track is, or singing to track, is pretty much what you do. You don't imagine, however, that it's just going to go that wrong and that you're going to have, as you said, commentary rather than actual <laughs> performance. <laughs> now, there is, as you know, Jim, there is a lot of finger-pointing going on with respect to yeah. exactly what happened. And what I can say is that if indeed, if indeed Mariah could not hear anything through her monitor, then it would be practically impossible for her to sing. You wouldn't want to, because then she would be crucified for not singing on tune. Yeah, or even not singing on time. Because, right. I mean, how would you even know where you were? I, I seem to remember this from our little performance where we did Sabotage, and none of us could figure out where we were in the song at all at any point. And we were just sort of looking at people, trying to read their lips. Um, yeah. So I, I, I sympathize. Now, there is some question as to who exactly was responsible for this problem. Um, but in any event, uh, it was a technical nightmare. Um, so I, first of all, I'm on Mariah's side. And I said, you gave me a performance that I can talk. My dad and my brother were calling me up. And I thought, when did my dad and my brother ever call me up and talk about music? Right. Never. Right. So I like that she gave a real moment, a performance that we could actually talk about the day after. Um, but I read a story where... She said she was using the production the production unit's ears, and to me that was shocking. Right. Because I thought, why wouldn't Mariah Carey have her own in-ears yeah. that are perfectly molded to her ears? One would expect that. And, and I think the only thing that, the only thing, Jim, that mitigates against her is that she has a reputation. For failing to rehearse, for showing up late, for not particularly caring. So mm -hmm. I think the problem is, is that when something goes wrong like this, we, we look back and we go, ah, oh, we've seen this movie. So, yeah. I mean, but, but that's not to say that it wasn't exactly as she described it. I, I have, you know, no reason to believe that it wasn't the case. And, and I mean, I've been involved in situations where the technology goes wrong. It's not near, wasn't nearly as sophisticated as what she's trying to deal with. But when it goes wrong, it can be a train wreck really, really yeah. fast. I mean, it's, it's amazing how it gets away from you. It's just it's awful. Because Mariah's team said that she con she was she was consistently saying, "Hey, like they're not working," and they said, ah, it, it, "They'll work during the show." And she's like, "No, but I can't hear anything. Eh, it'll be fine during the show." And then two minutes before she went on, she said, "I can't hear anything," and they said, "When you go on the stage, you'll be able to hear them." Now people might think that that's crazy. Well, that is but crazy. I've worked on multiple productions where I've said, "Guys, this ain't working right." And they're like, "It's fine. It's fine." And I said, "No, it's not working right. It, it'll be fine." And there's some as a as a performer, you know that something's going wrong. You use your spidey sense. Right. You try to warn people, and they're like, eh, eh, and then it goes wrong in the end. Right. So I've been there before. I, I haven't been performing in front of a million people on New Year's Eve, but I've been in productions where things weren't going right, and I'm like, this ain't right, and nobody fixes it because well, everyone and, thinks and, they're and right. Exactly, exactly. So you've had that experience. I mean, I, I would see personally from a professional standpoint, I would find. It unacceptable for my people to be or me to be saying to somebody, "Don't worry, it'll be fine when you get up there." 
Like, I, I think that's a completely unprofessional way of dealing with it. If it was going wrong, they should have made sure that at the, you know, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, whatever it was beforehand, hey, you can hear now, right? You can hear. To say, like, oh, you know, it'll be okay when you jump out of the trench and start running. You know, it's just, that's not right. That's yeah. not the way to do things. I understand that's kind of the way people do stuff. But the other issue is, like, there should be a safety net in place where if that's happening, there's, there should be a way to get out of it quickly and fix it before someone has to go up there and try to pretend that they're doing it and then break down and not be able to do it at all. And I was amazed that they didn't cut to commercial. They showed the whole thing. They showed the whole thing. It was as if they just... <laughs> and, and that's why I think that there were some people and, you know, some conspiracy theorists who, you know, postulated the idea that they wanted it to be a train wreck. But to be yeah. honest, but but you see, I just thought... I think that gives people way too much credit. I just don't think that that's what people were doing. I don't think you can get a group of people together and say, do what you always do. Because these... Let's remember, these people are professionals. They do this all the time. Okay, so they just do what they know how to do. And to suggest that, like, oh, we all got together and thought, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if this all blew up? I just don't believe that. I I, I think it was just a mistake. I don't think anybody wanted that to happen. I think maybe there was a certain amount of, like, conflict between her production people and their production people. That's one of the things I heard was there was an issue of, like, who's actually, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but who's actually dealing with the feed here? Who's dealing with the frequencies? Who knows where we are? What's the frequency, Kenneth? You know, but... But, yeah, but how does Mariah Carey not have her own audio person? Well, she did, apparently. And, she did? Okay. And, and, well, apparently. I mean, again, these are all these little things that you read, but... There was some suggestion that that the the Dick Clark production people were saying you need to be on this channel in order to get this right, and they weren't. And I don't okay. know that, but that's again that's the finger pointing that goes on after something goes bad. But I don't think the conspiracy theory really works here. I think that they just wanted Mariah to do a good performance because and, I mean, uh, it's just not worth it. And Ryan Seacrest, who I respect as a host, mm. I think he was over hosting. He did definitely overhost. Out of the performance, he didn't know how to handle it. Right. So he almost ignored it. He did he did acknowledge it a, a teeny bit. He's like, Well, anyway it happens. But he, I, I thought he overhosted it. And I, I thought, you know what? It would have been perfect if Ryan Seacrest was just real. Right. Maybe he threw up his hands and say, Hey, it's, it, it happens. It's live music, It's live man. TV, man. It's live TV, and, and we do the best we can, and we're really sorry if, if, if it didn't work yes. out. And yeah, it, there was a lot of ways to handle that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, Jim, from being on air, there's there's that sort of moment where you have to make a decision as how you're going to deal with it. And 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 you're hosting a broadcast that's, what, five hours long or something mm-hmm. like that? I think it's and there's obviously what you don't know what we don't know is there probably were other technical problems that were sorted out that might have looked bad at the beginning and worked out but you know you're going mm-hmm. through that constantly as you know you're going through that constantly in the course of the of the proceedings and I guess at that point he made you know a decision to sort of more or less ignore it which I agree with you I think it would have been better if he just said hey you know I'm really sorry we had some technical problems and but it is live television and we're just going to make the best of it it would have been better so, so as you were watching at home what did you say we were laughing 
Yeah, <laughs> we were we were laughing, and and my daughter's who we allowed to stay up. She said, <laughs> she said, um, I don't understand what she knows all about singing to track. I mean, she understands that concept. She she knows right. that a lot of this stuff they're not really singing. But she's like, why, why is she not even trying? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I don't know, but it appears that she can't hear anything. Because at one point, she did rip the monitors out of her ears. So mm-hmm. clearly she wasn't getting what she needed to get. And, and again, you've seen, you've seen performers do that, but the difference is they're usually on stage where there's other monitors. So sometimes right. your in-ear monitor might be going bad or it just might be bothering you. So you take it out, but you can still hear what's going on. But when mm-hmm. you're in Times Square, you can't hear mm-hmm. anything, okay, at all, mm-hmm. except for people screaming and the air rushing by and all the rest of it. So there was no hope. Once she took the, if they weren't working, once she took them out, there's nothing. There's no way. She can't hear the track. She can't sing to it. It's impossible. I think she did the right thing. Yeah, I think so too. Because she could have walked off the stage and they said, oh, she, boo. Or she could have tried to sing. And it would have been horrible, and the day after, people were just ripped her apart. Mariah Carey can't sing. Right. So uh, I, I thought well, she did the best thing. That's a really good point, and I think you're absolutely right. Regardless of who was responsible for the problem, there clearly was a problem. And I mm-hmm. think you're right. She could have just thrown things down and walked off, right? But mm-hmm. instead, she decided to turn it into a little bit of a joke. So yeah. good for her. I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected her to have that kind of presence of mind, but she did. So good for her. And I don't think this will affect her negatively. No. no. A week. From, I mean, we're talking about Mariah Carey. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next? The comeback, baby. The next live TV performance. No question. No question. And, and in some ways, it's actually, it's actually good. I mean, you know, it, it fuels sort of her story, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're you're right. She can have that big comeback, and then everyone will go like, "Oh well, who knows what happened?" But it but this is great. So, <laughs> and when next Christmas hits and we're all singing her song, we won't even care, right? All I want for Christmas is you. So, did you hear about the greatest New Year's Eve party? Uh, Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich. Mm-hmm. I think he owns some soccer team. He oh, had yeah. a, a new amongst other things. Yes, yes. I mean, he's he's a billionaire. Yes, he uh, He had a party in St. Bart's featuring sets from Paul McCartney, the Rolling Stones, Guns N' Roses, and the Killers. And there's a clip online of the Killers and Paul McCartney tag-teaming on Helter Skelter. Did you see that clip, by the way? No, I didn't see the clip. But I did do a little <laughs> bit of research on Mr. Abramovich. Uh-huh. Um... I got to say, Jim, I think these people, these performers are a bunch of scumbags. <laughs> okay. I have not read anything, and this includes his official Wikipedia site, that would lead me to believe that he's anything other than the, the badass gangster Russian. He's he's cozy. He's, he's tied to Putin inextricably. And I find it incredible that people who will sit there and ask me to give money for their causes would suddenly turn around and take money from a person who, at the very least, is an unsavory character. And he's also been linked to a number of murders. 
Okay, so just like Putin has. So I'm I'm just kind of, and I've seen this over and over again, people going to Dubai to like, you know, get $2 million payday to sing at some, mm-hmm. some person. It's like, I'm sorry, you guys, if you don't have enough money, then I can, I'll help you. I'll help you. <laughs> I'll help you with- figure out what you should do to get some more money or to figure out what you should do with your money. But this is disgusting to me. And I know the Red Hot Chili Peppers did something with him a few years ago. Where they got paid five million dollars for a performance, and listen, it's it's, fun. it's a wonderful payday. Look, I I think it's great. If someone came to me and said, you know, hey, would you like to sing for this gangster? You know, would I do it? Probably not. But I can understand the lure of it if someone's going to pay you that kind of money. But I just, when I yeah when I first read the story, that kind of went through my bones too. I thought something's not right about this. Like. A, like a, a billionaire getting the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, Guns N' Roses, and the Killers. It's like, eh, where's that money coming from? Well, I mean, it's so, it's it's it doesn't feel right. There's nothing wrong. L- listen, if you have the money, whether it's a billionaire who, by the way, owns six yachts, um, and even Sir Richard Branson said, I think the man could use some education on to what to do with his money, but, but. Um, if you have a lot of money and you want a performer to come and perform, we've seen this at, you know, Sweet 16 parties in Texas. We've seen a lot of this. If you have the money and you want to spend it on that, far be it from me to tell you what you should do with your money. But what mm-hmm. I find difficult to, to, to grasp is that these performers who on the one on one side of their mouth they're talking about human rights and on the other mm-hmm. side of their mouth they're taking money from people who clearly are not even slightly interested in human rights or anything or the rule of law or anything else so i just i i, I got to say that i find this disgusting and i'm not sure the list of people who refused to do it and i'm not sure any of these people were smart enough to even go on google and google the dude and I'm not saying he's the worst person in the world. I don't know. But there's enough stuff there to suggest that he's not exactly like your next door neighbor that you want to like and trust your kids to. Right. So, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm sorry. There's a limit. There is an absolute limit to accepting this kind of money. And I think that these people have stepped way over the line. And I'm surprised at Paul McCartney. You know, Guns N' Roses doesn't surprise me, whatever. The Killers, I don't know, I don't know. But Paul McCartney, that kind of surprises me. And, and as, if he, as if he needed any more money. Yeah. I mean, my, my understanding is that Paul McCartney sits on his ass and makes like $10,000 a minute. So I don't, I don't know, I, I don't get it. But How much do you think he was paid? Well, he's got to have been paid in the millions. Right. I mean, got to. Right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, if, if the Chili Peppers got $5 million, and that was a few years yeah. ago, I mean, I got <laughs> to imagine. How much does Paul McCartney make? Yeah, I mean, I got to imagine. And listen, like I've said, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with people spending their money on what they want to spend it on. I question the people who take that money. Yes. And what, what their expectation of that is. So as far as I'm concerned, you know... Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, and and I also would understand if they all said, like, yeah, we're going to take the money, but we're going to give it to charity, you know. And so this is a this is just a charitable thing, but that doesn't appear to be what it was, unless I'm yeah. wrong. So I don't know. Stop it. Stop it, you guys. Stop. What did you say one time on this show? It's all about the money. It's all about the money. <laughs> and the sad thing is, it's all about the money for people who don't need it. 
Yes. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, I don't know. We're not talking about some band who's barely able to, like, get on the road. We're not talking about some struggling artists here. We're talking about the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. I mean, I mean, I know they have a lot of children and a lot of grandchildren, and there's a lot. There's a need for a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, in case you're interested, Puff Daddy and Ashley Olsen were in attendance. Oh, good. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, got to round it there out. You go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, we closed out 2016 with the deaths of two more legends, George Michael and Carrie Fisher. But 2016 is now over. Mm. So, George Michael, that one surprised me. Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise because I I think he'd gone well off my radar screen and I think most people's radar screens. And the only thing that I have to say about his death is, I mean, now, you know, now there's talk of all this stuff, which, again, is conspiracy issues. You know, did he commit suicide somehow or something like that? I don't think anybody should even care about that kind of stuff. But what it did give an opportunity was I read some really, really nice pieces about George Michael. Now, I was not a Wham! fan or... I mean, I knew about him and I knew about all his stuff. Um, yeah. But... And, and, I, and, I liked, and I liked some of his solo stuff because I thought it was interesting. But I really mm-hmm. didn't fully understand his place in all of that. And I read some fascinating stuff about him, which... Which and just some appreciation for what he was, which was really interesting. And sometimes, unfortunately, death gives people an opportunity to look back and see things through a different lens than they see when the person's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I and and I, I was again. It was one of those things where he just fallen so far off my radar screen, it was all of a sudden thrust right back onto it. Um, the Carrie Fisher thing was. Um, was was sad and Debbie Reynolds was sad. That oh, whole yeah. thing was yep. like a little bit. It was a very interesting um, human story because, of course, if if your daughter dies and then all of a sudden the next day you die, <laughs> it suggests mm-hmm. something about our makeup as human beings, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that uh, that. Sometimes we don't understand the bonds that we have between ourselves and, and other people, and those bonds can perhaps transcend our physical beings. Um, although I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I know that some people suggested that that Debbie Reynolds did not, in fact, die of a broken heart. She already had a broken heart, perhaps. But uh, it was kind of interesting. And you know, I, I don't know whether you saw... Did you see Rogue One? I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay, so I, I, I don't want to spoil it. But there is a Carrie Fisher moment in it. So um, it was interesting being in the theater and, and seeing the reaction of people. Uh, so you saw it after Carrie Fisher yes. had died? Yes. Oh, okay. Right after, exactly. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, um, a lot of people were having those New Year's Eve parties where they were playing music from Bowie and Prince and then George Michael. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. Because I was listening to some of their songs, and I thought, you know what? I think George Michael might have... If I'm out on the dance floor, I think I want to hear George Michael songs. Yeah. Because yeah. David Bowie, you would have Let's Dance, and then everything kind of gets... I mean, you have a couple other ones. But if, if you want to have a dance party, I think that uh, George Michael cuts 
including his songs with Wham, would might be the best. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 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 the other thing that that I think we forget about George Michael is that, and these were the, sort of some of the things that were illuminated by some of these very interesting articles that I read in a number of different publications online. Um, was that he was a consummate pop star and understood everything about being a pop star and embraced it, despite the fact that he knew a lot about music. I mean, he was a musically a, a very diverse person. And there's a wonderful clip that you might want to see. It's, um, it's a very, very young George Michael on a show in England with Morrissey. Whoa. And they're talking about music. And... George Michael going on and on about the second side of Joy Division's Closer album is amazing. I mean, the guy like <laughs> knew the thing like backwards and forwards. So his musical interests were not just wham. I mean, that that was, you know, the pop side. But he understood the entire edifice, if you will, of pop music and rock music. And he was, a, he was an interesting guy, a very interesting guy. And he also I, did some things that were quite forward you know, in terms of the way he dealt with sexuality and and, and mm-hmm. everything, which I think at the time, most of society was really kind of ill-prepared to really understand, you know? Yeah. No, I, um, I think it would have been a bigger story, too, if so many other great legends hadn't passed in 2016. Yes, definitely. Because for a younger music fan, there was a moment in time when George Michael was the man. Absolutely. Like the way people talked about Lady Gaga three or four years ago, that was the way we talked about George Michael nope. for a certain time. No like question. He was the biggest pop star at that moment. Absolutely. All right, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we will let you know what legendary pop star welcomed to the world her very first child. Hey everybody, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on The Week in Music. Oh, first of all, I've got to say congratulations to Janet Jackson. She uh, she had her baby boy. Yes, she did. I think his name is Issa, or Isa. It's spelled E-I-S-S-A. Mm-hmm. So Janet Jackson becomes a mother at the age of 50. Mm. She canceled a world tour, so she can say that to her boy. That's right. I canceled a tour She's, for you, so you better be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about watching Rogue One over the holiday break. Did you see any other movies? I did not see... Uh, let's see. Do I see any other movies? Uh, no, I didn't. So, so you didn't see Sing? No, I did not see Sing. Okay. I was going to see Sing, and then my daughter said, well, one of my friends says it's horrible. Who, who said it was horrible? I know, I know. And then we checked it out. I was like, I, I talked to her friend. I'm like, well, was it really horrible? She's like, no. Where did she get that from? And I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it looks like it'd be good. Yeah, That's... there's just, uh, I mean, it's a singing competition. So what I like is you're getting seven-second song bites. Uh-huh. So it's like, there's this song, and then that song, and then this. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's like a, a mixtape. <laughs> and I, I like I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but there is um, within a span of four minutes, and this probably wasn't planned. 
There are songs from George Michael, Leonard Cohen, and David Bowie. Wow. I'm going to have to see it. Um, so there's a story like this every year, Lyle. Vinyl sales were up 26% in 2016. Now, I think it's a misleading number since we don't buy hard copy albums or CDs anymore. Like, if you're not going to buy a CD, sure, you'd buy an album because there's a lot of people into that kind of thing. Just like the hipsters in Brooklyn that buy the old razors. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, there were more streams last year than downloads. Right. So we are now officially entering the subscription era of music. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I read it. Yeah, I was following on these statistics, and, and I read that vinyl sales are as strong as they were in 1991. Well, having okay. been in the business in 1991, I can tell you that album sales weren't that big a deal back in 1991. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I can remember um, actually because I was working at Caroline Records and we were owned by Virgin and EMI, was that we would be approached. We were actually approached by the Stones people to put out Voodoo Lounge as a vinyl record oh. because uh, Virgin w- wouldn't do it. But Virgin was like, "Well, we don't have the pressing plant anymore. We don't make vinyl." We don't do it. And we said, well, we still do, so we'll do it. So we actually released uh, Voodoo Lounge on, um, on vinyl. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, we did some Smashing Pumpkin stuff on vinyl, things that, you know, because the artists wanted it on vinyl. Um, mm-hmm. But frankly, for the larger companies to try to tool up to do that didn't make any sense because it would just be too expensive for them to get that going for nominal return. So when they say it's as high as 1991, I go like, well, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but the one thing I do like about vinyl, though, and I think, I think a lot of younger people don't understand this, is the one thing about vinyl that, by the way, did coexist with cassette tapes and CDs, mm-hmm. was that, let's forget cassette tapes for a second, but if you take vinyl and CD... The thing was is that you put your CD disc into a player and pretty much whatever was going on in the digital to analog conversion in the machine was what you got. Mm-hmm. The thing about vinyl was you could upgrade your needle. You could upgrade your cartridge. You could get mm-hmm. a better turntable. You could take care of your vinyl. You could, you could have a really, really good sounding medium. For music, and by the way, vinyl sounds on played on a proper system sounds a hell of a lot better than MP3s or streams or anything else. Right. Um, nowadays, it's a little bit of a problem because your opportun- your your choices out there in terms of turntables uh, is limited, and so therefore you pay a lot of money for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like in the old days when there were 2,500 manufacturers of turntables <laughs> and you could buy everything from a $5,000 turntable all the way down to a $100 turntable. Now mm-hmm. you're kind of like, if you want a decent turntable, it's going to cost you a fair amount of money. But yep. I will still maintain that if I were to blind taste test people, ignoring maybe a little click and a little pop somewhere along the line, but if I were to blind taste test people, I'm almost positive people would prefer the sound of vinyl to any of the digital mediums. Yeah. And of course, most people don't even use the full spectrum of digital. They use a very limited one. They're hearing streams coming through, through tiny little speakers in their ears. And it's, it doesn't at all capture what the music is. Um, So I guess in a way it's kind of cool. I don't know. They're still talking about whether or not this vinyl thing's a fad or not. I suspect it, it has some fad ish qualities to it. 
Mm-hmm. I don't. <clears throat> it's hard for me to believe that we're going to re-enter an era where people are going to ramp up manufacturing of turntables and we're going to. Yeah, no, I don't think it'll I, get I don't to think that. That's so, where do you see? <laughs> how are we listening to music five years from now? Are we all in a subscription model? I think so. Like Apple does away with iTunes, yeah. or iTunes just becomes a subscription. Well, I guess Apple Music is their subscription service, right? Yeah, I think and then, so. And then what happens if there's an apocalypse? If satellites are knocked out of the sky? Well, if, if that happens, then people won't really be listening to too much music. They'll be worried <laughs> about like where their next meal is coming from and who they can kill and cook over a fire. <laughs> Um, but there'll be drummers, right? We'll drum. Yeah, exactly. Or what, what was it in in uh, uh, the Mad Max one? You have the guitar player up there on the front of the truck, you know, playing the apocalyptic music as they're rolling <laughs> along, which I thought was a, a brilliant touch, but overplayed a lot in that movie. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it's interesting though. I mean, the problem, of course, is, and we don't want to get into the whole thing, but the problem, of course, is, is that all the studies have indicated that people really don't want to pay for music at all. And they really don't even want to pay for subscription fees. I think yeah. I think one of the studies that came out that said that people in England were basically fixed at the notion of paying ten dollars a year for unlimited music. And ten dollars okay. a year? A year? So I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you pay more for bubblegum. I mean, it's 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 kind of so I, I, I just don't see there's two problems. I don't see us going back. At all, because I don't. I think once you make things essentially free, there's no way to suddenly charge for them, unless it's right. like heroin. Um, but, but at the same time, I also think that the problem is is that there's not enough money generated to sustain an industry. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, you look at things like Spotify, and and no one really understands what their finances are. But I've kind of got to figure that if you really took away all the investment, they're basically like out of business tomorrow morning. I mean, because they're not making any money to offset their yeah, costs. I don't. I mean, I think. I mean, the live show is going to carry the music industry, right? I think in the the long haul, there's going to have to. It's just a matter of fact. There's going to be less people that work in the music industry. Sure. So, I mean, but you, but you, I mean, even if you cut the staffs, I mean, they've already. What what the music industry is about forty percent of what it was in say nineteen ninety one right yeah in terms of employees and whatever mm-hmm. so if you cut that further that's fine but you you can never you can never cut enough to make up for the losses yeah so I I don't I don't know I mean everyone sits around this is the big thing everyone sits around and says oh well you know we're just sort of waiting on it all to shake out. And we've now been waiting for 15 years. I don't know yeah. that that's going to happen. I mean, it's like I always say, like, I was always waiting for the bottom of the music industry, but the, the bus keeps falling off the cliff and it keeps going. Sort of like, well, when are we going to hit? And I, I don't think there's any sign that anybody's going to hit anytime soon. So Yeah, I think a lot of people are th- thinking that things will settle. Like, right. oh, okay, this will be the industry standard. And I don't think there'll ever be an industry standard again. No. I think things will just keep changing. Right, right. And, and I, five years from now, they'll be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even think you could listen to music like that. Oh, okay. Right. Wow. Right. So, I, hey, I'll still have my albums, though. There you go. If there's an apocalypse. Yeah. So uh, Pharrell Williams did the soundtrack for the upcoming film Hidden Figures featuring gospel singer Kim Burrell. However, 
Pharrell and Janelle Monet, who also appears on the soundtrack, are distancing themselves from the singer after she recently gave a homophobic church sermon. <laughs> there was going to be a group performance on Ellen. Pharrell has been cut from it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, How did she? The thing. Did you? I don't know if you cut her sermon because no. there's cell phone video of it. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Like. I don't know what goes through people's brains. Well, not much, apparently. Yeah. I mean, even having not heard it, it's like, what would persuade you? Wouldn't someone say, hey, hold on a second. Wait one second. Hold on. You do realize that if you do this. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's 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 amazing to me. But I, I, I think that your answer, Jim, is the fact that I don't know that a lot goes through people's brains when they get wound up. On something that they, I don't know, somewhere in their in their deepest psyche they believe or don't believe, I don't think their brain enters into it. I think it pure it it, it purely comes from that place, because clearly yeah, this it, is suicide. I mean, you know, yeah, it's why would you do that? Yeah. So yeah, Pharrell and Janelle Monet basically said, "Hey, much love for everybody." Right. So. Yeah, and then Kim Burrell, I think she she had a statement where she said, "No, I was talking about sin. I, I wasn't really like I'm like no, like I, nah, I saw it. Nah, don't, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Should have thought so, of that uh, before you did it, not after. Yeah, yeah, come on, people, think like everyone says, think before you hit send. Yeah, well, think before you open your mouth, man, because everything is taped in 2017. Absolutely. Run DMC is suing Walmart, Amazon, and other retailers for over 50 million dollars. For selling trademark infringement merchandise, huh. you know what I, I found. Good. You, you know what I found funny about that though, was hmm. that apparently in the actual complaint that was filed with the court, it actually says that in terms of you know trying to outline the infringement, that there were, it was quote too numerous to even mention, <laughs> which I think is like <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. It's like. I she had so many car accidents I can't even go into them all. <laughs> you know, I mean that's sort of what it was. I found that amazing. I mean, it basically was saying like, well, if you really want us to outline all the you know, detail, all this stuff, we can, Your Honor. But suffice to say, there's just so much of it it's not even worth going into. <laughs> and I think that's just amazing. And do you have any idea of, of what they're specifically talking? I mean, is it actual just bootleg? Or is it the use of the name in some conjunction, you know, in conjunction with something? My thought, because they said they went through a whole bunch of merchandise. It was like T-shirts and glasses right. and keychains and wallets. So I think that someone was just using that logo. Ah, uh. because that it's like a kid's wearing a Ramon shirts, or you. Because know, I see a lot of people with Run DMC shirts, and I remember years ago. Um, I would see people, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I was born son of Byford, brother of... And then they'd give me a look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're not fans. Right. They're wearing it because it's like it's a fashion statement. They don't even care about the band anymore. But, you know, I think it takes a particularly hardcore set of balls. And I've seen this happen. For these clothing manufacturers to just take a logo that they know mm-hmm. is trademarked, that they know has protection, and they just slap it on a shirt, or slap it on a jacket, and they send it to retail. They, they manufacture it, they send it to retailers. I just find that, inc- I can't even conceive of sitting there going, oh, the Rolling Stones tongue logo? Sure, send it out. 
Exactly, yeah. I don't know how you get to the point where you just say, hey, man, let's just do it. Although I have heard that one of the strategies a lot of comp- uh, especially clothing companies employ is they'll do it and then deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. But in the, you know, and you probably wouldn't want to mess around with some people like Taylor Swift or, right. or the Rolling Stones. But when it comes to the Ramones, eh. Mm-hmm. You know, how robust is their whole operation? You know, are they really going to come after us? And if they do, we just go, oh, sorry, we'll stop. Because I was, I see Run DMC stuff everywhere. Right, I do too. And I was, all, I always thought that they had some legal team that were licensing this stuff out. You would think. So uh, did you hear that Live is reuniting Woo! with the, uh, the estranged singer Ed Kowalczyk? Okay. I guess they've been estranged since 2009. And they did a uh, surprise New Year's Eve gig in their hometown of York, PA. Good for them. Yeah. Did, did you did you like live? No. Nah. No. Nah. <laughs> nah. I, I I like the uh, with the, the throwing copper album. Yeah, that's what everyone says. But yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I thought they were a good rock band. I wanted no, to see No, I mean I, they, they were go- fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I just never thought I never really thought of them as pushing the envelope in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, to me, they're sort of like American Nickelback, but. I mean, that's... Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> that was the best I could come up with. I could have come up with no, something that's else. No, that's not bad, though. I don't know. Could have come up with something else. I mean, maybe that's not giving them enough credit, because at least they were, their lyrics were a little bit more, you know, introspective and interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, everyone. Live is back. Well, they, they the thing was, Ed left the band, or they kicked Ed out of the band, and people would go to live shows and like, well, where's Ed? Right, exactly. So now Ed is back with the band. Well, that's good. So speaking of 90s rock, one of Pearl Jam's many drummers, Dave Abruzzi, who played drums on Verses and Vitology, isn't being inducted with the band at this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony happening later this year in Brooklyn. Should he get in? And I don't know if it's wrong with me. I don't even give a crap. Well, I don't really... I don't... I don't know what the process is there because you have bands that have had multiple members over the years. And sometimes these people are side people. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they're just people. I mean, when the Rolling Stones go in, did Bobby Keys go in with them? You know, I, I mean, well, I think Pearl Jam's bringing two drummers with them. Okay. They've had several. Like I think Matt Cameron's getting in and their their first drummer. The original and drummer. I don't even, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know his name. Yeah. Well, I you know I don't know. I mean, is that well? I'm, well I guess what I'm asking is, is that up to the band? Like, if it's I think it is. Or if it's up to the band, then I would say that that's something that we don't have any information on. I mean, I I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know. They may have a relationship that we don't understand or or have no knowledge right. of, and maybe you know it's one of those things where, hey, you know, we're not bringing this dude because basically we just hired him to play on these things. I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's the truth. I have no idea. But but I could certainly see a situation where someone would say, well, yeah, they played on the records, but they were never really part of the band. That's true. So, and they knew that. So or maybe Dave's a jerk. Well, yeah, could be. Who knows? So uh, any birthdays today? We do have a few birthdays today. Uh, Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Ooh. is uh, 57 years old. I don't know whether you saw that thing that he did with Colbert, where they did End of the World as We Know It. End of the Year as We Know It. Okay. And then Colbert would go, I feel fine. You look at Michael, and Michael would be shaking his head, no, I don't feel fine. I'm not good here. <laughs> 
Uh, Patty Loveless is 60 years old. Uh, Mark Hollis from Talk Talk, a cult favorite band, if there ever was one, mm-hmm. is 62. Uh, in the same vein, Bernard Sumner from Joy Division and New Order is 61. And Nels Klein, who is the guitar player for Wilco, amongst other things, is 61. Happy birthday. And it's also my nephew Lachlan's birthday and my mother-in-law's birthday. All right. January 4th, 2017. They, they were all... So the, uh, the number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, entering 2017 is Starboy from The Weeknd featuring Daft Punk. The number one album on the Billboard 200, a Pentatonics Christmas from Pentatonics. That's some spillover from last year. Uh, the number one song on iTunes, I Don't Want to Live Forever from Zayn and Taylor Swift. The number one album on iTunes, the uh, Moana oh. original motion picture Oh, I saw soundtrack. that. I saw that. Oh, was that good? I loved it. I thought it was great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, I wanted to see it, but Sing has knocked it out of a lot of theaters. Yes, it has. And uh, the number one song on Spotify this week, Bad and Bougie from Migos featuring Lil Uzi Vert. So uh, we will take a break. And when we come back, we have our music picks of the week. It's the end of the year as we know it. I feel fine. It's the end of the year as we know it. It's the end of the year as we know it. It's the end of the year as we know it. And I feel Hey everybody, Jim Shear and Lyle Presler. Uh, the first week in music of 2017, I have a song pick of the week, and I might like this song better than any song I liked from last year. Ooh. And if I wasn't so late to the party, this might have been a pick of the week last year. Blood in the Cut from Kay Flay. So I was in Pittsburgh for the holidays, and I was listening to their modern rock station. Uh, They haven't changed their playlist in years. Mm -hmm. You can still hear Cumbersome from Seven Mary Three. Okay. And Machine Head from Bush is still on heavy rotation. Right. But there are times when they'll play a new song. So I'm driving, and I heard this song. I was like, what is this? And I looked at the display, and it was Blood in the Cut from Kay Flay, and I know about Kay Flay because there was a, she put out a release a couple years ago that I really liked, and it was the year that Lord put out her album. Right. And I was kind of torn because I thought, eh, is she ripping off Lord? Is she trying to be Lord? I like her. Do I not like her? So after I heard this song, I'm like, you know what? I, I like Kay Flay. Sign me up. I don't have an so uh, here it is, Blood in the Cut smart, from Kay Flay. I'm still at the start. Guess I'm contagious. It'd be safest if you ran. Fuck, that's what they all just end up doing in the end. Take my car and paint it black. Take my arm, break it in half. Say something, do it soon. It's too quiet in this room. I need noise. I need the buzz of a sub. Need the crack of a whip. Need some blood in the cup. I need noise. I need the buzz of a sub.
Like a PJ Harvey doing yeah. Monsterona. No, I like that. That's good. So let's hope it does well. Let's hope you're. Yeah, it's you're... it's 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 rare these days where you have a discovery on modern rock radio. I would say that's very rare. Although I was going to say, God bless the middle of the country for still playing rock songs on radio. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, if you live around here, you ain't getting a lot of that. Right. I mean, I have I have Sirius, so like I can tune into the stations if I want to. Although their playlists are really limited as well. I mean, it's amazing how many times I'll get in the car and go, wait a minute, I heard this song exactly the same time I got in the car yesterday. <laughs> Ooh, wait a minute. What does that mean? Uh, coincidence? Do you, ever listen, do you ever listen to that new channel, Volume? I have listened to that. I, be- I, see, I think I, this show would work well on that channel. I think it would, too. I think it would work really, really well on that channel. And we'd have, like, a, you know, I'd ra- I wouldn't be in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know for sure, but we might get paid, although probably not. But uh, we might. We would. We could go out to lunch with what we'd get paid. <laughs> we get, yeah, we could buy some dogs. <laughs> yeah, milkshake money. Right. Exactly. Well, I. So what's your well? Pick of I the went. Week? I went in sort of. You know, I went in, in a slightly different direction. Um, Kate Bush who had not performed mm. in 35 years prior to 2014, yeah. did a series of shows. And I have to say, although I'm not this person, so it was kind of a very quickly passing thought, I actually almost said, let's fly to England and see one of these shows. Now, for those of you who don't know, I mean, Kate Bush started in music when she was very, very young. I think she released her first record when she was like 16 years old. She was a very avant-garde performer. She worked a lot with Peter Gabriel and a lot of those people. Um, She produced a lot of really interesting records. She became a cult, cult phenomenon 
in in England and the world. She had some success here a little bit later. Her biggest problem was, from what I understand, she will not fly, um, wow. which meant that her touring opportunities were very, very limited. And mm-hmm. then she sort of just sort of stopped playing at all. And so, I mean, 35 years is a pretty long time to stop playing. So she got, she got her act together, so to speak, and she did a bunch of shows in England, and it's been released as a giant three-record box set <coughs> called uh, Before the Dawn, mm-hmm. which chronicles all of the performances and is one of those sort of, you know, record collector dream things where they didn't edit it much. They just sort of said, oh, here's everything that she did. She did a lot of odd stuff, stuff, deep tracks off of stuff. Um, and there was a wonderful song that she did called And Dream of Sheep, and so they mm-hmm. took the live track and they actually made a new video for it, which is interesting. So okay. the video is not much of a video. It's just her in a life preserver in the ocean singing the song. All right, so let's, uh, let's do it. Kate Bush and Dream of Sheep. Heavy with seed 
Yeah, that reminds me of a song that they would play at the end of a series. Mm. Yes. Yes. Like definitely. after, like if Walter White is laying down on the the floor of a lab. Right. And, and I, like the pull away shot. And I, I'd say that you know Kate Bush is is to some extent an acquired taste. There's there's some of her stuff that I don't like all that much, but I think a lot of it's really good. Um, and she is one of those true auteurs. I mean, she she wrote all her songs, she sang all of her songs, she understood the technology, she was one of the first people to use a Fairlight synthesizer computer. Um, she may have been responsible for coming up with the orchestra strike. <laughs> I don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was popular, of course, in, in a lot of 80s music. Um, but, uh, and a lot of people, a lot of people, you find that a lot of musicians out there, even people you wouldn't imagine, are big, big fans of hers. So it's nice to see her, you know, having done some stuff. And uh, one can only hope that maybe she'll bring that show here. Maybe she can get on a boat. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe Abramovich can lend oh, her yeah. a yacht. <laughs> she can come over and do some shows. Yeah. So if Roman Abramovich, the Russian billionaire, is listening, funded her boat ride, <laughs> would you still see Kate Bush live? <laughs> sure, sure. If, oh, okay. if it's just a boat, I'm I'm okay with that. He already owns it anyway. It's just the fuel okay. and the crew at that point. Okay. All right. Well, and then she can borrow John Madden's bus. Yeah, I don't. Th- yeah, she- I, yeah. I, I don't see her doing any of this, by the way. But whatever. We can dream, right? Yeah, we can dream. It's the beginning of 2017, where dreams are where possible. dreams are possible. Anything is possible. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take one more break, and when we come back, we will play Ask Lyle. Hey everybody, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on The Week in Music. Time now for our first edition of Ask Lyle in 2017. Ask Lyle! So my question is, a lot of old punk rockers are being interviewed because there's going to be a new president soon, Mm. and a lot of people are speculating that punk rock is going to make a return. So if uh, one of these journalists stuck a microphone in your face, or emailed you, Mm. what would Lyle Presler say about the state of the world and the state of music? I think Because it could happen, Lyle. Yeah, no, They just interviewed uh, Jello Biafra. Yeah, and he he would be a good person to interview um, because he was always very much uh, involved in politics. In fact, he ran for the mayor of San Francisco Mm -hmm. and actually got some votes, some serious votes. I think I've I think I've actually said this before. You know, this this situation, just just on the face of it, reminds me a little bit about a little bit of when Reagan was elected in 1980. Mm-hmm. There was a sort of sense amongst um, <clears throat> people like me. Wait a minute, how could this happen? How is this possible? Um, and there was an enormous amount of hand wringing about what Reagan would would do. Uh, Of course, the difference at that time was we were locked in this horrible potential nuclear confrontation with the Soviet Union. 
Um, what would that mean? Would we all be destroyed? You know, there were a lot of issues. Um, but what it, what you could argue that his ascendance, ascendancy to the president and the sort of new right-wing values that came in around him spurred a lot of underground and outsider art, including mm-hmm. including punk rock. Although, remember that punk rock really began in the mid-70s. Right. So, it, you know, it's not, they're not exactly synced up in terms of time. Although, I guess some people in England would say that, well, yeah, but that was because there was a coming sort of Tory revolution in England, and that was what pushed it. Um, so so far, Lyle, because Rolling Stone recently interviewed Jello, mm. your answers are identical thus far. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Um, but the the thing about it is, of course, is that you you don't to say there's going to be a new punk rock. What does that mean? Because because I I don't I don't. The, for instance, we played what a lot of people call hardcore, right? So, but mm-hmm. hardcore is still there. I mean, you can go to clubs all across the country and see hardcore every night if you want to. You know, there mm-hmm. are still bands out there. I don't know most of them, but they're still around. There, there's ones that are still around, like Bad Religion, um, and then there are lots of lots and lots of other bands that are that are new that are out there, and they've they've been playing this music now continuously. So when you say punk rock, I don't, you know, what's the new punk rock? Is there a is there a different sound? I, I'm not so sure that I'd be really satisfied if all of a sudden we had a thousand new hardcore bands singing Donald Trump lyrics because I already went through a thousand hardcore bands singing Ronald Reagan lyrics, and there are <laughs> bands named after Ronald Reagan. Okay, so you know, I, I mean. I don't know. Do we need to do that? Are we going to have you know you know we'll have Trump youth instead of Reagan youth? I mean you know <laughs> you know I don't I don't know. But but I would hope that that there'll be some sort of musical response an artistic response that will be appropriate to this time in this place. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but somebody out there is doing it right now. I can guarantee you that. Um, I just don't know what form it's going to take at this point. Okay. Um, so uh, you you might uh, you might get hit up for a few interviews this year. I might. You never know. Good to have you back, Lyle. Good to have you back. But I think there'll be a lot of good music, Jim. I think that we can assure ourselves of that. I wasn't thrilled with the music that came out last year. Like I, I of course, I have my handful of forty songs that I love, but just overall, I wanted something more. So I, I have a feeling musically, it is going to be a better year than 2016. I think you're probably right. I think what we saw in 2016 was a lot of copycat stuff. Like just basically, you know, here's a formula, let's just copy it. And we'll just, we'll just insert the appropriate person in here. And I'd like to, I'd like to think that more, of mu- more music will reach the public consciousness that is actually produced by musicians Mm-hmm. who are investing their own real energy and heart and soul into something as opposed to simply mm-hmm. being called in to sing on something or being yes. told, here's a song that might work for your new record. I, mm-hmm. I really would hope that will happen. It will always be there. It always has, contrary to what most people think. If you go back and look at the charts, you're going to find pure pop music created by songwriters, created by producers that goes back all the way back. So it's always mm-hmm. been there, and it always will. But I'd like to see a little bit more of original stuff coming from the musicians themselves. And, you know, that, that always has a greater impact because if someone's singing to you something that they wrote, 
mm-hmm. that they believed in that meant something to them, it always has more impact than something that somebody designed as, hey, this will work, this will fit your thing. Yeah, and I'm asking pop stars to also up the uh, BPM of their songs. Okay. Because last summer we had Work and One Dance and a bunch of songs like that with that similar vibe where I'm like, come on, let's turn it up a bit. Okay. Come on. Yeah, there you go. Let's get more Cake by the Ocean. Right. Come on, man. Or Fits in the Chantrums. Yeah, like let's, yes. yeah, let's bring it up a bit. I agree with you. That's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah, and so Lord's coming back this year, so maybe she she kind of falls into that work. Yeah, even um, slower than that. Dance though. BPM, yeah. yeah. So maybe a uh, Lord will turn it up All in right. 2017. We shall see. So uh, for Lyle Presler, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. <laughs>